Um, we're going to be in John chapter 4. Um, and we're going to be in John chapter 4, starting in verse 1. It's the story of Jesus and the woman at the well. But we're going to break it down. We're going to unpack it in a whole different way. We're actually... There are things that we are not going to even talk about today because we want to focus on the divine appointments. We, I, I feel like everybody has a divine appointment or appointments in this world. You know, the, the, the thing is, are we going to allow ourselves to be led by God into those appointments and be faithful enough to follow through with them? And so we're going to look at the interactions or the lack of interactions that happen in this story that, that were calculated steps for Jesus to interact with one person. So it's going to be an amazing, because a lot of people think, you know, Jesus loves the church. No, 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 Jesus loves you. He came down and died for you personally. He has, he has interest in you, you know, and so many people forget that. You know, they go, oh, preaching and teaching and sharing stories and, and ministering to people, that's the job of the pastors or, or the people with those gifts. But God can use you in a mighty way if you allow it to happen. And so we're going to be in John chapter 4. We're going to start with verse 1, uh, and then we're going to break this down. The Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although the fact was Jesus who it wasn't Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. When the Lord learned of this, he, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph, and Jacob's well was there. Jesus, tired from the journey, sat down by the well, and it was about the sixth hour. That's about noon, so middle of the day. When a Samaritan woman came to him to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan. How can you ask me for a drink? Because the Jews did not associate with the Samaritans. Jesus answered, If you knew the gift of God and who it was that asked for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have, nothing to draw the, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself? Also did his sons and his flocks and his herds? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst Indeed, the water I give him will become an, a spring of water welling up in eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so I won't get thirsty and have to come here to draw water. We're going to pause right there. So we begin to see Jesus build and divine appointments happen so he can interact with this one woman. We don't even really know at this point in the story who she is, but Jesus does. And so we begin to see these building blocks. Like in, the, in verse 1, it says that they were baptizing and they were bringing followers to Jesus, but then Jesus had learned about the, 
the Pharisees learning about that, and so he decides to move. He says, oh, since they know about that, let's move on. And it says Jesus learned. I have to argue with that a little bit. Jesus knew way ahead of time, and this was a divine appointment that somebody comes to Jesus and says, um, they know about you, they know that you're growing your followers, they know that you're baptizing more than John the Baptist, and then Jesus says, okay, we'll go back, we'll go back. We're, they're in Judea, they're going to go through Samaria, and they're going to go back into Galilee. So many people brush over that. But you got to realize that this was like the first domino in a lot of steps that Jesus needed to, to accomplish to get. He didn't have to leave. He's the son of God. He could have said, bring him on. I'm staying right here. But he knew from the beginning of time that at this point in his ministry, he was going to have an encounter with somebody. And there was about to be a big change, a huge change, a phenomenal change, a change like no other. And so he said, we're going to go. So they start their journey, and they're going up from Judea into Samaria. Now, Samaria is a place where the Samaritans live. That was deep. That one was for free. Um, and, and the Samaritans and the Jews, they didn't get along. You know, they, they just had this clash. They just had this, 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 this rough relationship so they were basically saying, we'll ignore you, you ignore us, we'll go and do our thing, you go and do your thing, you're the chosen people, we're not, we'll stay here. And it was this whole back and forth. So Jesus says, hey, let's go. We're going to cut through Samaria. Now the disciples are probably a little, nah, not probably, they're probably really uncomfortable with this. Because they could go around Samaria and get into Galilee the same way, and, and if I was... If I was a good pastor, I would have had a map for you. But it's basically like Riverside is Judea, Samaria is like Corona, and then Orange County is like uh, Galilee. They, you could take the 60 around and bypass Corona altogether, or you could go straight up the 91. you got to go through Corona. So the ty- disciples know that Jesus could have took the 60 <laughs> and then cut across the 57. He would have been in Orange County and never gone through Corona because... Sorry if people are from Corona. That's the only example I had. Um, but they could, they could have done something different, but Jesus didn't. Jesus took them into there, and they were probably like, oh, Lord. Literally, oh, Lord, do we, do we have to do this? Do we have to go here? There are so many other options we could do, Jesus. We're going through Samaria. And so my first point to you, if I can find it, I know my wife's already got it up, that Jesus leads you to purpose and not necessarily to comfort. Something amazing is going to happen, but the disciples have to become a little uncomfortable. They have to squirm a little in their seat. And the problem is, as as followers of Jesus, we say, Jesus, and we pray. Jesus, lead me where you want to go. I'll do whatever you want me to do. I'll serve however you want to serve. Oh, BT Dubs, you need to make me comfortable. You know, by the way, Jesus, um, I'll do whatever you say to do as long as it's within my comfort zone. Here is my comfort zone. Here's my comfort bubble. As long as you don't pull me out of that comfort bubble, I'll do anything that can keep me in the realm of this bubble. And the problem is sometimes Jesus calls us to uncomfortability, not because he likes to see us squirm, because he wants us to be in a place where we're fully reliant on him. 
And so we continue on with the story. Um, so there's, a, there's this comfort level. And so now in verse 5, they're called the Sarka. And, and Jesus is by a well that, um, that was given to, to Joseph. So this land that he's on is, belongs to Joseph and the well. And it's in the middle of the day. And Jesus sits because he's tired from the journey. And I almost brushed over that in my preparations. I really did. And one night I was just sitting up and I'm preparing. And I kept on going back to that. And I kept going back to that. And, and I heard the Lord just speak to me. He says, somebody needs to hear this. And so Jesus sat because he was tired from the journey. There's somebody in this room right now that's tired from their journey. And Jesus wants you to know he knows how you feel. It is so important that you grasp the concept that not only did Jesus come down here to live a perfect life, only to die a horrific death that was deserved to be for us, and then rise again to say, I have conquered death, hell, and the power of the devil. You now can have eternity in me if you just believe me. He came down here to live 33 years to empathize with you. Sympathize means, you know, I'm, I'm sorry your dog died, but I really don't know how you feel. Empathy means, you know what, I lost a pet one time. I know exactly how deeply that hurts you. That's empathy. And Jesus came down here and he lived and he was tempted and he was hungry and he was tired and he cried. He wept. He understood everything that it was to be a human except for sin. So if you're tired today and you're falling down and you're weak, sit by the well and rest. Psalm 46.10 says, be still and know that I am God. Be still and know he's God. But you may say, but I I have serving to do. I have this to do. I want to glorify God in my life. But everybody forgets the second part of Psalm 46.10. He says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted in the earth. I will be exalted among the nations. When you sit and you rest and you're still, God will glorify himself through what he does in and through you while you sit and rest. So for the person that needs it, I'm giving you full permission in the name of Jesus to sit and rest. Enjoy the Lord for a moment. Enjoy the Lord for a season. Let him pour into you the living water. And so he was tired. And it was in the heat of the day. And now we have our interaction. All these little, these little divine appointments and now we have our interaction. The woman comes to the well. Why is she coming to the well at noon? How many of you wanted to go out and pour? I mean, now you got to remember, drawing water was work. You know, you had to pull the rope up and you had to drop it down, make sure it's full. It's work. Why is she doing? Anybody in the last two days want to go out at noon and mow your yard or something? Nobody's going to go out at noon in Southern California. They're in the desert. They're in the desert, and it's noon, it's hot. And here comes this lady. Why? Because nobody's there. She didn't expect Jesus to be there. Nobody was there. She comes in the heat of the day because she's ashamed. She is, she is hiding. She is hiding from everybody because they know her story, 
and she don't want to be dealt, she just doesn't want to deal with any of it. So she comes in the heat of the day. Um, and so remember in the back, in the, in the day of the Bible, women, I, I apologize in advance, women just weren't regarded in the Bible. I mean, their words really meant nothing. Um, uh, they, they were, there was just a different deal for women back then. So the fact that Jesus even spoke to her because she was a woman was rare. And so we have this interaction with Jesus. And then Jesus says to her, can you get me a drink? (laughs) And she and the disciples went into town to buy food. And they were probably at Costco. He probably sent them to Costco. Because even if they got the food really quick, they had to wait in line and wait for that person to put the yellow mark. Have a good day. Have a good day. And I bought three things. You're really going to look for all three things. They're right there. They're, they're big. They're bulky. They're different colors. You really got to do it. Have a good day. I'm sorry if anybody works at Costco, but that person at the end of the, you know, Jonathan says that past, he's making a, making a trend that pastors are real. So I'm just going to keep on that and be real with you. I don't like those people at the end of the line at Costco. But he probably sent them to Costco because he knew that another divine appointment that had nothing to do with what he was doing. You know, he moved the disciples into Samaria. He then sent them. So sometimes God will take things away from you so he could have a divine appointment with you. You see what I'm saying? That he sent the disciples away because it was important that they eat. He was hungry. He was tired. But it served a greater purpose because he knew he'd be alone and he'd be able to talk to this woman. So he says, can you get me a drink? And she says, do you realize who you're talking to? I'm a Samaritan woman. You're a Jew. Do you really want to have this conversation? And then he goes on, and we're not going to even divulge into it because this is like a whole sermon in itself. It talks about living water. But what we want to recognize about this conversation about the living water is it changes the direction of the conversation. Now she's intrigued. Living water. Oh, it wells within me? You mean, then I don't ever have to go out. She's probably thinking to herself, my story isn't worth seeing. I want to hide from my, if he can give me this living water, then man, I don't even have to go to this well in the middle of the day and, and, and work for my water. I got the, and, and so we see this conversation and it changes the direction. She starts to become inquisitive. And then at the end, he says, Go and call your husband. Well, now she's scrambling. Could you just imagine? Uh, 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 And then she grasps it. I don't have a husband. And Jesus says, you're right. You've had five. And the guy that you're living with right now isn't even your husband. So what you say to me that you don't have a husband, you're right. So my second point that I want to share with you is that Jesus will expose your story not to reduce you, but to refine you. If you don't get anything out of this sermon, well, I want you to get like three things, but this is one that's really important, is that Jesus will expose your story not to destroy you, not to reduce you to nothing, but to refine you, to make you more like him. See, because everybody has a story that we run from. 
a story of humiliation, a story of not doing the right thing at the right time. Everybody's got a different story. But the problem is eventually that story, because one person heard it and said it to another, eventually that story will catch up to you. And so her story came, kept up to her story caught up to her. And now she's really curious. She's like questioning him now because she's like, you know what I've done. You're a Jew. I don't even talk to you people, let alone this guy that's just sitting by a well. And she starts to, inqu- she starts to inquire of him. She's like, uh, she says, I can see that you're a prophet. Our fathers uh, worship on this mountain, but you Jews worship in Jerusalem. So what's the deal there? And he says, believe me, woman, the time is coming when you will worship, uh, worship uh, the Father neither on this mountain or in Jerusalem. Uh, you will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. So now he's taking everything that the Jews have believed that they need to be in Jerusalem. And the Samaritans are like, hey, we worship on this mountain. That's where we do our thing. And, and he's twisting it and saying, guess what? There'll be a time where you're going to worship in spirit and the truth because that's who the Father seeks. And then she goes on to say, I know the Messiah called Christ is coming. And when he comes, he will explain everything. And then Jesus says to her, I who speak to you am he. That's like a drop the mic moment for Jesus. Because he gets her into a place where she's talking about the, the Samaritans worshiping on the mountain. She understands you know, the, all the back history about the Messiah. She still understands all of that. And then he says, it's me. It's me. So everything else that he said prior about the living water and about the worshiping and everything, all falls into place. Now she knows he's the Messiah. So everything that he said prior to that takes on a whole new meaning. And so I want to share with you, not my first point, That once you have an encounter with Jesus, your chains are broken and your past no longer defines you. Get that really solid. I want you guys to sit in that in a minute. Once you have an encounter and you understand that Jesus died for you on the cross so your sins would be forgiven, he rose again to say, I'm the real deal. I'm the Messiah. I'm the Son of God. Because nobody else could do what I did and I'm going to transfer my righteousness to you because you believe that what I did and then I'm going to use you for mighty things. When you understand that, your story takes a different perspective. Your story no longer defines you because this woman for so long her story defined her. It, 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 it motivated her. It directed her in everything that she said and everything that she did was based on were people going to know my story and, and, and destroy me for it. And so everything was motivated around that story. When she understands that this is the Messiah, the Savior of the world, it's going to change. It's going to change. Ladies, I know that you're ready, but I'm going to do something different today. I'm feeling... I'm feeling, I need two power guys. 
and then I need two ladies from the audience. Anybody up front? I just need four people. I need two power guys, and I need two ladies. Come on. Don't make me call you out. This is my last Sunday. I got nothing to lose. What are they going to do? Fire me? Shoo! Somebody. Okay. Trev, I want you here. Holly, I want you here. Bonnie, I want you here. And I'm going to hang out with my boy Heath. Now, Heath has a story. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put you on the outside because I want to hide for a minute. No, right here. Okay, Heath has a story, and I know Heath's story. Okay? And, what I'm, and God has divine appointments with Bonnie, Holly, and Trev. Okay? And if Heath allows his story to use him, we're going to see how that affects God getting glorified in all three scenarios. So... We're really men, and me and Heath are very, very secure in our manhood. So I'm going to take Heath by the hand. I'm Heath's story, okay? I represent Heath's story. I love Heath Baker, by the way. He is one of my, he, he's one of the friends that just totally made me feel welcome here at, at Relevant. So I, I'm so glad you volunteered. So I'm Heath's story. So we come up to Bonnie, and, and Heath feels like he wants to share his story with Bonnie. But what happens is... I whisper in Heath's ear as his story, you're not good enough. Your story's bad. You should be humiliated and you should feel devastated by what you did. And telling this woman this story is not going to help you at all. So the best thing for you to do is to walk away. And Bonnie doesn't get to be blessed by Heath's story because his story is using him. I just used him. I says, this isn't for you. This isn't anything that you, this is not what God wants you to do. Hide your story. So then we come up to Holly, and he hears a little bit about Holly, and so he wants to have a conversation with Holly, but his story steps in and gets in between them. So Heath, what happens between Heath and Holly is their, their relationship becomes very superficial, very surface. He can't get deep because his story is making him stay on the surface. He doesn't get to, get, doesn't get to know Holly because if he got to know Holly, then he would have to be vulnerable and transparent to her, and then his story may make her run away. So then the story takes him over to Trev, and he gets close but then he covers the eyes. He covers, his story covers his eyes because Trevor and Heath have a similar story, but because his story is so dark, it covers his eyes to not see that Trevor is almost like Heath. And Heath could tell him a lot about what Jesus did for him, but his story present, prevents him from seeing deep into Trevor and know that he could help him and glorify God and all he does and all he says and all he is and what God has done for him. So, again, his story takes him away. Now, we're going to do that again. But Heath, this time, and you don't have to say anything, so don't panic, but Heath is going to lead me. Okay? So now, go ahead. Heath is using his story. So he comes up to Bonnie and says, Hi, Bonnie, I'm Heath. This is my story, and this is how God um, used this story to bring me to a saving relationship with him. And I know that you're struggling with some stuff, and I struggle the same way. I want to come alongside of you, and I want, I want to uphold you, and I want to pray for you, and I want, to, I want to meet with you, and I want you to come to regroup with me because there's a lot of us that are in the same struggles. 
Now, I'm not involved because Heath has chosen to use me instead of me using Heath. Then he goes to Holly, and he says, Holly, I have a story to tell you, and I think that you... And he uses me again, and what happens here is I can't get in the way because Heath is holding me back. Heath is using me, his story, instead of me using Heath. And what happens here is that him and Holly have a deep relationship where they get to know one another and they get to share in one another's griefs and one another's sorrows and one another's pain and all of this. And then him and Holly become really, really good friends and they start to do life together and regroup and they start to serve together. And it's the way God called us to. And then he walks over to Trev. And because I'm behind and being used by Heath, he can see that Trevor, he can see that Trevor is almost identical to him. And he goes, you know what, Trevor, I know that you've been struggling with some stuff, and me and you, brother, we're on the same level, man, and I can help you through this. And guess what Jesus did for me? And he tells him the whole story, because I know your story, bro, and you got a story to tell. <laughs> but, and, and then him and Trev, just like, and this is awesome, because these are some of the two specialist guys if I can just break down for a minute, I love these two. These guys have been a, a part of my life for the last year, and it, it's ironic that you guys came up here because, I mean, we've shared our stories, and we've grown together, and, and I love you guys. But that is the difference. Thank you, guys. Everybody give them a round of applause. So my fourth point is you can either let your story use you or you can use your story to God's glory. Everybody's got a story. There's not one person that, that can't say that they don't have a story. So the thing is, can you use it to God's glory? Can you allow God to, to be your stronghold to where when you recognize that somebody is just like you and has suffered just like you, that you can stand in faith and go, you know what, I have a story and it's very similar to yours. And this is, this is how... God got me through it. Pastor's being real. In our fifth year of marriage, um, by the way, I have the most incredible wife on the face of the earth. And uh, honey, I love you. In our fifth year, my wife tried to get me to hit her. So she had a biblical reason to leave me. Amen to that, brother. <laughs> that came out. Amen, Mark. Praise the Lord. Um, she tried to get me to hit her because I wasn't being a good husband to her. And I didn't hit her. And somebody came alongside of us and walked with us and taught me how, what it was like to be a biblical husband. And... Um, and we started to grow together instead of growing apart. Uh, if you're struggling in your marriage, there is nothing God can't reach in and change. Um, and our story, we have shared with countless married people in this congregation, uh, not because we think that we're better. Uh, almost a year and two months ago, I stood on, not this very stage, because we were at the Fox. Um, but I stood on the stage, and they introduced me as the pastor of marriage and family life and they asked me to say something and I said we're just broken people helping broken people and that's what we tried to do this whole time that we've been here is just be real and be broken uh, and help broken people 
but it's because we have a story that allows us to do what we do. It allows us to come alongside people and help them in the way we do because it's not, it's not us healing our marriage, it's God healing our marriage and the way that happened and how that all came about, we share with anybody and everybody because we feel that God instituted marriage to be a mirror of his relationship with his church. That's biblical. Um, that one was for free. Um, but, uh, but then we see the people's response to this lady. This lady went, and again, women weren't really allowed to talk, and especially not her because of her story about the, all the high, five husbands. So when she probably spoke, nobody probably paid attention. But I can't wait to get to heaven. I'm going to ask Jesus to rewind the video of time and let me l- listen to this woman's sermon. Because when she came to the people... She was so compelling in what she had to say, more than the the word says that she said, this guy told me everything I had done and what I'm doing now and what I've ever done, but I'm guessing that it was so much more compelling because not only did they listen to her, they went and sought out Jesus. And I missed a point, didn't I, honey? Did I miss a point? Which point did I miss? Five. Thank you, honey. You're the best. But then at the end, the people said to her in verse 42, they said to the woman, we no longer believe because of what you said, but we have heard it for ourselves and we know that this man is really the Messiah, the Son of God. You see, her story gave people hope. Jesus gave the people healing. So point number five is your story will bring hope, but Jesus will bring healing. When you go to people And you tell your story and you go, and it all changed when I met this guy named Jesus. It all changed when Jesus came into my life and he says, I'm no longer defined by the sin in the past, but by the the righteousness that he gives to me from the day I received him till eternity when I spend eternity with him celebrating with everybody else that, that, that he is called to himself. When you make that decision, to be a follower of Jesus and you share that, your story with other people, it brings them hope. When we share our story with married people, it doesn't say they got it going on and they're doing it all right. They're saying these are broken people, but we have hope because God did something in the life of Bobby and Cammie that changed them forever. And that gives them hope and that drives those married people or or whoever we're speaking to, it drives them to the cross And that's when the healing begins. Until you give yourself to Christ, that healing never really happens because it just sits. Your sin still just sits. When you go through the fire with Jesus, he heats you up. And if you've ever seen gold be refined, anybody see gold be refined? You probably could watch it on YouTube. I forgot to ask my son Joshua because he's a YouTube freak. If you looked it up after first service. But what happens is they take this gold and they put it in a big pot and they heat it up to an immense amount of temperatures. And what happens is all the crud starts to float to the top. And then they just scoop it off. And the more they scoop off, the more pure that gold becomes. So when you meet Jesus and you have an encounter with Jesus, your chains are broken. Your past no longer defines you, but it is the eternal life that you have in Jesus Christ that defines you. And it changes your story from a story that drags you down in the dirt and makes you hide 
to a person that can go out and share your story because the story doesn't end in your crap. It doesn't end there because Jesus, through the fire that he brings you through, starts to take all that stuff off and scoop it out. And you can go, Jesus, refine me through the fire. And I am because I I am who I am today, not because of anything I did, but because of everything he did. And it's so important that you remember that because there is somebody out there that God has a divine appointment for you. And if you take anything, is take Take hold of this, that Jesus wants you to share your story. And Jesus wants you to share what he did to bring others hope and bring them to him. Because the Bible says that, that, that God wishes no man to perish, but all to find eternal life. Well, if we're not telling our story, how do people know? If we're depending on others to bring them through these doors, we're missing the boat. We're missing the blessing. It's really difficult to tell tell our story. It's really difficult to tell some of the things that we have gone through as a couple. The loss of my brother, the loss of her brother within a six-month period, the loss of a child. There are so many things in our lives that, that are really difficult to talk about, but when we talk about how God has brought us through and God and God alone, it gives hope to the people that have miscarried a baby. That God will come down. When they meet Jesus, he'll come down and he'll start to repair that broken heart. I couldn't do anything for my wife when we lost our baby, but Jesus could. And Jesus put divine appointments in Cammie's life, and these women come around her, and they supported her, and they walked her through something I couldn't do, because guess what? I can sympathize with my wife, but I can't empathize with my wife. I never know what that felt like. I never felt that. And so you have a story to tell, and there's a divine appointment out there just for you to tell your story that will bring hope to somebody, that will bring them into this church or into any church. We're a kingdom-minded church. Whatever it takes to get them to Jesus, that's what we want to see. So stand firm in your faith and know that Jesus has got you. Well, I'm not a good speaker. Jesus will give you the words to say. Bottom line, he said, I will never leave you or forsake you. I'll be there every step of the way. Just step out in faith. You step out in faith and watch God respond in faithfulness. You step out and go, okay, Lord, I'm going to go talk to this person. But I expect, I am waiting in expectation that you are going to be there with me. Because he will. He will every step of the way. So we're going to pray right now. By the way, praise man. I can't say enough about this. I'm so, you know, with the video... I didn't get to come up here like Pastor Jonathan does every week and go, give it up for the praise band. And, you know, Jonathan does this. I didn't get to do that today. I'm so glad you guys are up here because I love to worship. And a lot of people perform. Don't look at me, Nikki. Nikki, you're amazing. But a lot of people perform. But our praise band, they sing really well and they play really well. But you know what they do really great? They usher the people of God into the throne room of God. You know, people can perform. I can bring up, you know, any really, really good band, and they can play the same songs you guys do. But they can't usher the people into the throne room of God so we can worship him like you guys do. And I am truly blessed to just dance in the back like a maniac like I do. 
If you all have ever been to church late, I, like David says, when he was dancing before God and people said, you're a king, you can't be lifting up your dress and dancing all. David said, I'll be even more undignified than that. And if you all come to church late, you'll see me in the back jumping around like, and I got no rhythm, but I'm just dancing. <laughs> Good Lord. This, this praise man can bring it. Um, it's truly been an honor to be with you guys today and for the last year. Uh, my family and I are truly blessed to have been a part of this family. And we don't feel like we're losing family. We're just gaining uh, We've just gained a tremendous amount of family. And so thank you from the bottom of my heart. Before we go, I want to pray. And if you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I'm going to ask you uh, to pray with me. You don't have to do anything. Let me just be really clear. Nothing you can do can get you to heaven. The only thing you need to do is allow Jesus into your life and allow him to become the king. And transformation will happen. Things will change. I can guarantee it. It's happened in my life and it's happened in everybody's life that's accepted Jesus. And so there's nothing you can do. All you got to do is cry out to him. And so let's just bow our heads and pray. Father God, Lord Jesus, thank you for your word today. Thank you for reminding us that our past doesn't define us and that our story can give people hope that can lead them to you, Jesus, where they could find eternal life. And And if that's you, I just want you to raise your hand. Don't be ashamed. Don't be shy. If you want to give your life to Christ, just raise your hand. God bless you. Anybody else? God bless you. Anybody else? God bless you. Don't be shy. shy. This is the safest place you can give your life to Christ because all these people are here to celebrate with you. Anybody else want to give their life to Christ? If you want to give your life to Christ, just pray this prayer after me. Dear Jesus. I know I'm a sinner. I don't need some pastor to tell me that. But I do know you died for me. I do know you rose again to prove that you were God. And just come into my heart and change me. Come into my heart and make my story hope for other people. Come into my life and transform my heart to one that just wants to be a follower of you. Thank you, Jesus, for dying for me. Thank you for rising for me. And thank you for giving me. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You know, it says in in the Bible that when somebody gives their life to Christ, that the angels are literally in heaven celebrating. There's a big old party going on in heaven. So can we just celebrate with the angels in heaven? Um,